I've done lessons with really good players in the past, and years later, I do a lesson for their brother, and I'll ask about, hey, where's so-and-so at? Oh, well, he got tired of it. He quit. He doesn't play anymore. And I think that's something that we got to be mindful of when we play so many games here in the season. Welcome back to Moms and Baseball. This is Stephanie, and this is episode 62. And I'm Diana. Today we are joined by guest Sam Smith, and we're going to be talking all about select baseball. Yes, our expert guest today is Sam Smith. He is from Johnson City, Texas. He has been involved with select baseball in some capacity since 1995. Sam was also a six-round draft pick for the Colorado Rockies in the 1997 MLB draft. He played in the Rockies minor league as an infielder from 1997 to 2003. Sam then worked as a select instructor and coach for 10U to 18U teams. Currently, Sam coaches his son's 11U team, and he also runs camp and provides training for several other ages. Welcome, Sam. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys, and I enjoyed uh, enjoyed listening to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate you being here to talk with us today. Yes. Before we get started, I feel like we should clarify what we mean when we're talking about select baseball. I know different people have different terminology. You hear about travel ball, club ball, select ball. Um, are those all the same things to you, or, or what, what are you talking about when you talk about select baseball? Well, I think to start off with, select baseball, from my perspective, has taken many different forms over the past, you know, 20 something years that I have known about it. But yes, I would, in a, in a short answer, select baseball or travel ball or, or club ball. Um, when I think of select baseball, I think of more of a, um, a competitive travel around, try to find the best competition possible. And I remember when I was in high school back in the mid 90s, actually getting a, a brochure of Texas Select Baseball and, and reading through that. Of course, there wasn't, you know, you didn't get online. They, they mailed it to you in the mail. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I, uh-huh. I remember going through that and kind of reading what that was. And that just simply was, hey, there's a few teams in the Houston area and we're trying to trying to get the best guys possible and here are the tryouts. And so that's what I think of when, when I think of Select Baseball. But it has taken many different forms over the years, and it does look a whole lot different than it did in 1995, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and we're definitely going to get into that and pick your brain about that today. But I think you just basically touched on there when Select Baseball started. It was really like the cream of the crop type of players that were playing above and beyond you know, their high school or their rec leagues or whatever to right. go do this. And now it's become so much more commonplace that, yeah, I'm guessing it's going to look a lot different. But I know for me in Michigan, we don't talk about select baseball a ton. We generally refer to travel baseball. So like when I hear select ball, I think of like a premier travel team. Like I think, oh, like a super select, like a really special. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And I realize that that's not always what people mean when they say select baseball. It might just be, yeah, like a, like a travel team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So one of our questions that we had for you, too, was what did youth baseball look like for you? And did you grow up playing Little League or was the select baseball a thing for you in your younger years? You know, when I look back at younger years in baseball for me, I grew up in a very rural East Texas farm. And so playing baseball, it didn't consist of, you know, playing with the other neighborhood kids in the sandlot because, you know, I lived on a farm. The, the neighbors weren't very close. Yeah, so you that had was no a lot around. Of, <laughs> right. That was a lot of my brother and I in the backyard uh, playing wiffle balls where it started as like a little yeah. wee kid. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, we had the local the local league in town. And I remember, you know, I think it was April every year. I was so excited. My dad would sign me up. And, um, you know, we played about 16 games during that season, plus all stars. And I think at the time it was it was a it was called Dixie Youth Baseball. OK. Mm. And fall leagues didn't even exist. So you had oh, time no. to play. Yeah, it was uh, you played in April. And if you were if you were very good in all stars, you got about 20 to 25 games in per year. And so, you know, that's kind of how I grew up. And then the the, the playing more kind of started later on as I as I was starting to get into high school and getting more into competitive baseball and having to travel outside our our area to to get more games in. Yeah, yeah, that make, that makes sense. I think for us um, here, our local kids, or excuse me, our kids that are just playing the local league, you mm-hmm. know, they only get about probably ten games in. And like you said, if if they do all stars, uh, yeah, that might be double. It's probably very similar to that, about about twenty games in. And yeah. as we all know, in a select baseball setting, it's going to look completely different than that. So. But I'd like to start out with what you had just mentioned earlier. You said you played select ball for a couple of years, it looks like, maybe before you were drafted. What did that look like in the 90s um, compared to what it looked like when you came back to select ball in the early 2000s? Well, okay, so let me answer that by giving you a little bit of a timeline. Sure. As I was growing up as a kid, playing in the backyard with my brother, I fell in love with baseball. I loved baseball. It was a passion of mine that if I could play it every day, I wanted to do it. And, you know, we didn't have MLB network. We couldn't turn on ball games. So I remember listening to the Houston Astros games on a on an old radio that I could tune into AM and I and I kind of feel old talking about that. You know, <laughs> it's been so long ago, but that's kind of where my baseball passion started. And then as I as I got older into high school ball, um, the select stuff started coming around. I started hearing about it. So I tried out for a team in the Houston area called the Columbia Angels. And I believe they're still around today. Very competitive organization. Uh, it kind of broadened my baseball scope to, to play outside of, of the town I grew up in and to see other players and to really try to scratch that competitive itch that baseball put in me at an early age. And so I was fortunate enough to make that team. I believe I was a sophomore in high school. And so once I made that team, that that pretty much looked like, so in the summer times, I would, me and my best friend from my, my high school, I went to Jasper High School, we we traveled to the Houston area, which was about an hour and 45 minute drive. And we would stay with our head coach. And oh. all we did was, yeah, all we did was play baseball. So when the, when school let out and the summertime came around, he said, look, you guys, why don't you come down here for the summer? Um, it's too long of a drive. You, you, you stay with me. We'll, I'll put you to work. You can, you can weed eat and cut grass and play baseball in the evening. And <laughs> we thought we were in heaven because all we did was work for him in the morning. And then we get to go play baseball every day. And it was a, uh, it was a long summer of baseball and fun and traveling around Texas and the U S at, at 15, 16, 17 years old playing baseball. So it was a, an eye opening experience. And then, you know, shortly after that, as I got into my junior and senior year in high school, um, is whenever the pro scouts and the college scouts would look at, um, you know, they were there during the summer. So I started getting some interest there. And so my senior year, um, you know, is when the pro scouts started scouting me pretty hard. And then 1997, I was fortunate enough to be drafted in the sixth round. And I wanted to play pro baseball. That was my goal. That was a passion and a love of mine. I remember my dad taking me to the Astrodome back when I was, I was probably a 10 year old kid. And I distinctly remember walking through the walking up the stairs 
and having that stadium open up and see the players and see the, the turf and hear the crowd. And I thought to myself, man, this is cool. I want to do this. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's where the passion kind of, you know, um, started for me in baseball. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very cool. That's a great story. I have a question for you then. So uh, noticing all of this and, you know, we've noticed that kids coming out of high school are throwing like, oh, gosh, 96, 100 now. <laughs> So we know that these kids have talent, right? But what do you think is like, what's going to push them or what what makes them go on to be a major league player? Like, do you notice like a certain characteristic or anything special that pushes that kid to go above and beyond? Because talent is, talent's talent now. Yep. Outstanding question. And I'll answer it this way. First of all, I'm glad I don't play today because everybody <laughs> seems to be throwing in the mid, mid to upper 90s. Uh, right? You're right. When I played, starters were in pro ball, they were, they were 90 to 93. The relievers were 93 to 95. But what I think from my experience, what I, what I see with the with the kids and, and even professional players, a toughness and a grittiness that baseball players have, or some people call it an edge. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's super, super important to have as a player to go with some of the God-given talent that some of these guys have, because you're right, they're, they're talented. Hit, and the thing is, they're throwing, you know, in the mid to upper 90s and the hitters don't care. They can hit it. They're good. Yeah. With it. And yeah. so I, I think the confidence slash, hey, let, let's do it there. It's almost like a no fear type deal. And that that kind of gets us into the the mental side slash approach side of baseball versus the technique side of it. Mm-hmm. And I would say if there's one thing missing, it's the toughness and grittiness or not necessarily missing. But the guys that are elite, man, I tell you, they have it. They sure do have it. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's something that, that's a good point. Yeah, I love to hear people talk about that grit or I feel like what you just described is what um, Mark Grzyk, a previous guest, would have referred to as swag. Like kids that just mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. walk in and, and own it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So and I have to ask here because you talked about Houston. So can we imagine you're a Houston fan, Astros? You know, I would say if I'm a fan, yes, it would be Houston because that's who I grew up watching uh-huh. and that's who I grew up. You know, you know, I watched those games. Wanted to be like those guys. So yeah, that, that, that was my team growing up for sure. So this is a a happy time for you right now. <laughs> you know, they're playing well. They're they are. playing well. Yeah. Got a got a got a shot there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I hope they do well for sure. Yeah, that's great. And we're obviously huge Justin Verlander fans uh-huh. um, yep. coming yep. from Michigan. Um, so we also like Mad Max, though. So come on now. Yeah, yeah that's actually <laughs> very true. He was he was my favorite. Yeah, I got you. I'll, I'll tell you. A fun, I'll tell you a, a quick story about professional baseball. So I told you about when I was a kid and I got to go to my first pro game. So my son is now 11, which is a it is an absolutely different perspective on youth baseball when you have a kid in it versus when you don't have a kid in it. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. But a few years ago, this would put him about eight or nine. He hadn't gone to a major league game. And I played for the Rockies organization. And I had a a couple of buddies of mine that were in the organization at the time, whether they were teammates or coaches that had now made the major league level. And so I reached out to one of them. and I hadn't talked to the guy and Oh, it's been years. And I reached out to him through text and immediately he texted me back and we got in touch and had a conversation. And he was just, it was like we, we had not left off, you know, in, in years. So mm-hmm. I said, look, man, I got an eight-year-old son. He wants to, we're going to, you guys are going to be in Houston. Can we come down and I'd like to catch up. He's going to watch the game. Hey, sure. No problem. So we get to the ballpark and as we're getting into the parking lot, he sends me a text message that says, Hey, do you guys want to, to be on the field during batting practice? Well, <laughs> yeah. of course we do. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> So he tells me where to go and we go in and get the passes. I'm like, you know, 
my son, I mean, this is his first experience. So we're walking into the stadium and he's got his pass and they're letting him go right down on the field. So he's standing wow. next to he's standing next to major leaguers and I get to catch up with some old friends of mine that are uh that I was super proud of for for making it to the big leagues as coaches at that point. And I thought to myself, you know, he, I, I don't know that he realizes <laughs> what kind of experience he's getting here. Mm -hmm. So it, that was a cool story to kind of get him to, to be on the field on his first major league game. So it was neat. Yeah. And I, I was thinking the exact same thing. He's probably thinking like, oh, this is like a totally normal thing to go to a baseball game and be yeah. out on the and field I, with the players. Like, right. nobody and gets I, to I do that. To, yeah. Right. I had to, I had to tell him like, hey, buddy, look, this isn't <laughs> like what this is. Next time we come, we're going to be sitting up there. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If you're real lucky, they might let the kids run the bases after the game or something right. with like 2,000 no other kids. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. I'm just going to switch gears just a little bit because we're talking about select baseball today and something that's on our mind a lot is how much select ball is increasing and then therefore like you see a decline in Little League or like you said Dixie Youth League or just local rec leagues, Babe Ruth, things like that. Do, is that something that you see in your area? Do you have any concerns about that? Well, I, I do see it in my area, the, the especially in the smaller towns. And, and, and I live about 60 miles west of Austin. Okay. And my son grew up playing in the local league here. But, you know, it... As they get older, they just start going going elsewhere to play. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it's worked out here. And, you know, coming from Dixie League and Little League, um, sometimes I wish it necessarily wasn't that way. But that's just the reality of the Little League baseball world we live in now. And, and sometimes I call select baseball or travel baseball. Um, it's, it's almost in regard to the length of time that kids are playing now, meaning in, down here where I live, there's only – it seems like six or eight weeks where the weather's not conducive to go out there and play baseball. We just have really good weather and there's tournaments going on <laughs> all the time. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I almost call it a, a necessary evil. I mean, cause you have to, it's a fine line between how much it, are we letting these kids play during the course of the year? You know, my son, his team last summer, they, they started in January and finished in July. That's a lot yeah. of baseball for, for a 10 year old kid. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. And now we're in the fall, you know, and you're looking at a two or three week break. It's hard because if baseball is my son's passion, you want him to crave it at, you know, all ages, but especially whenever he gets a little bit older. I've done lessons with really good players in the past. And years later, I do a lesson for their brother and I'll ask about, hey, where's so-and-so at? Oh, well, he got tired of it. He quit. He doesn't play anymore. Oh, and yeah. Sometimes I ask why. And a lot of the time I get, well, you know, he got a driver's license and there's other things out there and he's been doing it mm -hmm. since he was eight year round. And so I think that's something that we got to be mindful of when we play so many games during the season with young kids. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's one that's always been my number one concern is just really trying to be mindful of not burning my kids out and mm -hmm. not like it would just break my heart if we did all this travel ball and they, you know, had a blast as kids and then get to high school and decide, eh, I'm tired of it. I don't want to play baseball anymore because, you know, like then what were we, <laughs> what, what are, you know, what are we doing this yeah. for if it's just killing uh, your love of the game? Like, I don't want to do that. That's right. And I remember as a kid, like I said, we didn't, I didn't play many games as a kid. And when it came around time for baseball season, I, I had that burning desire to be out there. And I mean, my son practices once a week on a complex that has all AstroTurf feels. It's beautiful. So I'm like, 
wow, there's so many opportunities and there's so many games that they can play now. The one thing that I, that I try to tell parents, let baseball teach you something. Try to get all you can out of baseball at any level, whatever level you're playing. And what I mean by that is baseball is going to give you an opportunity. It's a team sport filled with individual performances. So it's going to give you, it's going to teach you responsibility. It's going to teach you to be on time. It's going to teach you to be a good teammate. It's going to teach you to deal with failure. All of those things that I just mentioned, and those are just a few, they apply in my real job now. They apply anywhere we go moving forward in baseball. So when baseball ended for me and I was fortunate enough to play it a long time, I, I have to pull out of that baseball bank and apply those lessons and hardships I learned during baseball to what I do as a dad, what I do as, um, you know, for my real job. So I think we have to make sure we grab a hold of that while we can and let's learn from it when baseball gives us those life lessons. Yes, we, we are. Yeah, Diane and I both agree with that. So touching on that, what are your thoughts on players on your select teams playing multiple sports? Oh, that's a tough question. And my answer has changed <laughs> over the <laughs> my answer has oh. changed over the oh, over okay. the years. Interesting. It has. And so, you know, initially it was, yeah, play it all. And I still kind of feel that way. If if there's a passion, get after it. Mm-hmm. Where I live, there's travel ball select teams built around baseball only. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, and, and it goes back to how many games do we need to play? It's like, well, we don't want to get behind. Well, are we getting behind? I don't know. Maybe I don't. That's a tough one. I kind of struggle to give you a really good answer. So um, I'm totally good with it. I think the key is training with baseball more so than playing games. So I have I have players that I do lessons with that are very passionate about baseball, but they're also passionate about football. They're also passionate about basketball. They're also passionate about fishing or being in the outdoors and all that's good. That's all good stuff. But they say, look, I'm playing football this fall, but let's work together on some training stuff and give me some stuff I can work on so I can uh, keep sharp with baseball in the offseason, better myself and be specific about my training. So next time I come around, I'm going to be better than where I was in the fall or where I was last spring. So that's a tough question and a good one. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea how many, uh, you you kind of alluded to it, but I don't know if you gave us a number, like how many games your select team would have played, like say last year at the 10U level? I'm going to shoot from the, on the hip here and Mm -hmm. I may be wrong. I'm going to say it was around 50 or 60 games. Oh, okay. So that Um, was a really long season, but that's actually a lot fewer games than what I thought you were going to tell me. You didn't, yeah, yeah, you don't play like every single weekend, do you? No. no. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I guess because in Michigan, you you know, you said you had about six weeks you can't play. And I'm like, that's about Mm -hmm. our season weekend (laughs) that we have. So we jam it in. Yeah. So like right. we're like those weekends are jam packed and then they're playing rec ball during the week and they you know I want to say I we've had years where if you counted you know every team that my kid was part of he probably has had like 70 75 games maybe I don't yeah. know so mm-hmm. okay yeah and that's just a rough rough number and, and the way it looked last year for my son at 10 was practice three times a week uh, <clears throat> and then tournaments you know and like I said they weren't every weekend. Okay. And could you talk a little bit about what the organization that you're involved with is structured like? Um, off recording, you had mentioned that it sounds like they're kind of tied to the local rec program. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So it's, it's a town called Dripping Springs, Texas. And years ago, they were like any other small town and had baseball and kids came and played and, and it would, I guess, be considered a rec league. Um, over the last couple of years, they've decided to uh, kind of branch off and, and have a select league as well. So there's two different, you, you know, you can sign up to play in their 
rec league or we have tryouts to play on the select teams. And there's one select team per age group. And, you know, the select stuff is going to be the rec schedule is more like a traditional baseball schedule. You know, hey, here's the schedule. It's Tuesday, Thursday. And the select stuff is more weekends, travel more, cram it all into Saturday, Sunday, that type of deal. Which I have an opinion on that as well. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> it, look, I, I wish as a I wish there was a way. And I remember when I played high school select baseball. So it, it wasn't, hey, let's go play a tournament on the weekend. It was here's your games. I remember playing a Friday night game, two Saturday, two Sunday, and you're done. It wasn't right. a, we crowned we crowned a champion. It was a schedule. Uh, you're at this part, this part, this part. Now it's more where, where I'm from. It's more we play two on Saturday and then we play potentially a bazillion on Sunday if we keep <laughs> winning those games. Yes. So I hear you. Yes. Baseball <laughs> is not, you know, in my opinion, it's not meant to be played that way. I mean, it's a game that you can play every day. You got a new pitcher in there and you let her rip. Yes. Um, my son played last summer. There were times where he played four games in a day. Mm-hmm. And by the time they got to the fourth one, it's like, oh, I don't this I don't know that this is a great idea, guys. Um, but right. that's the 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 setup of kind of where we are in, in tournament play. And I'll you know, I wished at times there was more of a, a schedule where it could be look, there's no time limit. We're gonna go play six innings and let's go from there. Yeah, I you are preaching to the choir here because <laughs> um I, I know that's one of my husband and brother's main complaints as coaches are the the jam-packed weekend schedules and mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of tournaments that they won't enter um uh-huh. the first one that comes to mind is like the UCSA double a world series because i mean i feel like the way that was set up you could have i don't know it's insane you could have something like five to seven games in a single day or something and that's in addition to all the games that you'd played the previous day and the day before that um and so just the the potential to just really abuse the kids and you're not playing the game the way it was meant to be played um and we've kind of ranted and raved on here in previous episodes about you know a time limit especially like where you're starting with a one-in-one count and there's a crazy short time limit and if time if the time limit's reached then the winning team reverts to whatever the score was at the end of the previous completed inning or yeah just all this stuff that's not baseball yeah i totally understand it reminds me back in the i don't know this was around 06 or 07 i had a very competitive select group out of austin and i remember going to home plate one time during one of these tournaments you know meeting with the umpires for the game for the ground rules and they said okay okay guys introduce yourselves and went over the ground rules and they said okay we're going to play major league rules hour and a half time limit <laughs> and i was like wait a minute they don't play an hour and a half in the wait major <laughs> uh, so that's just uh, it's it's, it's just where we are in the select world. But I do have to mention, I had a treat this past spring uh, on one of those teams back in the mid-2000s. At the time, I coached this young player at 11 and 12. And this April, he made his major league debut. So I was super Aww. proud of him. And it made me feel old. But it was cool to see, <laughs> you know, somebody that, you know, that you worked with. And by all means, I wasn't the reason why he's there. But it was cool to be a part of that and see him get to the, to the highest level. It was neat. Oh, yeah. That, oh, that is so cool. Yeah, that must be really rewarding. That's awesome. Okay, I think this will be a good place to pause for just a moment and talk to you about our favorite baseball mom accessory for the cold months coming up, and that is the Mombi Blanket. The Mombi Blanket is a waterproof, fleece-lined, hooded poncho. It can snap up and you can wear it. It's got pockets. 
it's super long, super big. So there are different sizes, but they're they're just very roomy to wear around you. You can wear it around a child. I wear it as a as a coat. I don't even wear my winter yes. coat um, or my rain jacket or whatever if it's raining. I feel like all I ever really need to do, no matter how cold it is, is to put my rain boots on, put a sweatshirt on, and grab my mommy, and I can withstand the absolutely like coldest, most wretched baseball weather that Michigan can throw at us. Absolutely, and because it's like a poncho kind of blanket, you can totally wrap it around your body, and then no rain or snow gets inside your warm, comfy place. If you click on the link in our show notes to make your purchase, it will help to support our podcast. And Mombi's offered a generous 10% off discount for listeners. Just use the discount code Moms and baseball. That's M O M S A N D baseball. Well, we're going to touch on this a little bit, but you you've kind of mentioned it being your son's coach. So how what is it like to coach your own kid? Oh boy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no, no. It's really fun. I I I enjoy working with him. Um, I feel like it's it's rewarding to see him put in work and see results. And you know, this this is a result oriented game at times. But then you go back and 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 you you evaluate. And I, and I tell I tell my parents a lot. Let's set goals. Let's set long term goals. Let's set short-term goals. And when you set goals, especially the long-term goals, you have to periodically evaluate those goals and see where you are. And so we talk a lot about that. Can we control the results in the game? No, we can't. He may make a diving catch. The umpire may call a strike that really wasn't a strike, and that's part of it. But can we keep ourselves together? And I ask him sometimes, well, buddy, what can you control? He can control going out and hitting off the tee. He can control his training. He can control how much he hustles. And so it's been fun to see that from my son. Um, Because when I look back at my baseball career, I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember results. I remember relationships, places I got to go see and play in, the people I've met. And so I try to instill the work in him, and the results will come later down the road. But it's been fun. And now my, my daughter who's now seven, she's playing coach pitch softball for the first time. And that's been enjoyable because when we talked about early on, when we talked about the the player with the grit and the toughness, that little seven-year-old girl (laughs) will go get them. And so that's that's been fun to see. Yes. Yes. Softball players, they're tough. Yeah. It's been good. And just for the record, my kid doesn't play short. He plays center field. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> we didn't even have to bring it up, Diana, and he already touched on Danny well, Ball. Yeah, there the you next go. question was supposed to be <laughs> Yeah, it was gonna be about Danny Ball and just I'm sure everybody everybody deals with it and talks about it. So I was gonna say, do you have any advice for other dad coaches, mom coaches dealing mm-hmm. with those types of concerns? You know, when I talked about goals a second ago, um, what is, who are we there for? Are we there for, I'm not there for me. Nobody's asking me to play baseball anymore. I'm there for my son. And if he was the best shortstop as his coach, I'd put him there. Mm -hmm. Um, But in my opinion, he's not. And that's okay. I think he's the best center fielder we have. Right. Um, So I always tell parents of of my team at at this level and any level, be there for them. You don't necessarily have to be an expert or have played baseball yourself. Roll them grounders. Um, Throw them soft toss. I remember my dad, and I was fortunate that he coached me in high school. But when I was a little guy, I can't remember a time where I said, hey, dad, I want to go hit. And he said, no. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but he was there and he always pitched to me. Um, and so I think that's important. Just be there and be positive and encourage. You know, from the third base coaching box, this is kind of one of my deals and I'm kind of getting sidetracked, but that's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I try to be positive. Hey, buddy, you can do it. Hey, let's go. I'm going to give you a sign and maybe I don't think you're going to do it, but I'm going to tell you that you can do it. 
because that way the confidence during that performance starts going up. Um, if I'm over there going, hey, man, you're stepping in the bucket and doing all this stuff with my hands about the technique that he's doing wrong at the time, that doesn't translate during a game. Right. And now we're out of whack. Yes. So ho- hopefully I've, I've kind of answered your question there. But I'd say the main thing is be there, give effort when they want to train. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And, and with, with training, whether they're you know, I've said this to, to parents before when, so my daughter's seven, her favorite thing, get her uniform dirty. You know, she wants to just go, go play yes. and run. That's the fun part uh-huh. as we get. So, so we have to introduce 90% fun and 10% work. Well, now with my mm-hmm. son, his fun, yes, he still likes to slide, but his fun now is the double and everybody cheering. So now mm-hmm. it's like 50% fun, 50% work. And as they get older and more competitive, now you're in high school. Now we're like 80% work. And by the time you get to pro ball, you got to work to get those results that you want or to put yourself in a position to get the best results, I'd say. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're so good at this. It's like you saw my list of questions because I, I feel like... <laughs> You keep touching on things before we get there, but you're, you were talking about advice for parents and, you know, working with kids. As somebody who offers lessons, when do you think, like, I feel like we're starting lessons, paid lessons for our kids younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, like, what your thoughts are on balancing that and how much should, when or how much should we be looking at lessons versus, um, you know, when we should just be out there working with our kids? or playing with our kids? Great question. Great question. Let me answer it this way. I tell guys that do lessons with me, especially in person, I would rather see them once a week for six weeks and then not see them for six months rather than to see them for six months, once a month. And I try to involve the parents in the lesson to a degree where they can at least take some of the drills, the technique, the mental approaches and apply it when they go away from the batting cage that we're, that we're in. Cause the reality is mom and dad's who they're going to be working with more than me, even mm-hmm. if they come to me once a week, all the time. And I also try to instill that train with a purpose. And the way I describe that is this, if you go to school, the teacher doesn't say, okay, we're having a history test on Monday. The teacher says, Hey, this week we're going to work on chapter two and it's going to be about such and such. And we're going to have a test on Friday. And on Wednesday, you're going to do this worksheet. And there's a preparation for the, the test or the exam. As baseball players, especially hitters and fielders, which is what I was, we have to prepare for the test. So I asked the guys, what's the test? And the test is the game. So if I have a player coming out of the batting cage, especially high school kids, hey, how'd it go? Typical answer, oh, it went good. Or I didn't hit as well. <laughs> What'd you do? I hit a bucket and that's what I get. What I, what I am looking for a lot of times is, you know what? I warmed up with 10 balls off the tee, got myself loose. And then I worked on driving the ball the other way on the outer third of the plate on the tee. And then I moved to short toss and I worked on driving the ball up through the middle of the field. And then I backed up and, and took some regular BP for about 25 swings. And I took about 60 swings today. Now that's a plan and you can evaluate a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's hard to evaluate it, in my opinion. I've had guys very young, I'd say seven, eight years old. Well, you got to be simple, understandable, and practical to the age. So the lessons at that age, they're good, but we got we to get some parent involvement, especially at a younger age, so they can take that back home. Now, if I'm working with a 16-year-old, well, that's different. <laughs> Dad's not there. Right. You know, and the, the 16-year-old may not listen to Dad anyway. So now we're in more in-depth, and the responsibility goes to the 16-year-old player. And I mean, that's the deal. I try to teach these guys, look, who's responsible for your baseball action? Mom, dad? No, you are. 
you're the player. So you have to take that responsibility serious in your training because when you step out on that field, who's watching you? Everybody. Could be a scout for the Blue Jays. Could be uh, a coach from Arkansas. Hard to say. So you have to take responsibility. One of the things that I touch on, on on responsibility on players, and I see this a lot, just in observing baseball at a younger level, if something bad happens or if something unfair happens during a game, I hear you know, the fault goes to somewhere other than the player itself. And I'll just use my son as an example. Okay. It's not. So is it the coach's fault he struck out? Is it the umpire's fault? You know, I hear that a lot. Well, Mm -hmm. that coach this and the umpire that and that field had terrible. They didn't drag it and it was terrible hops. Look, the responsibility is on the player. And even at a young age, I tell them, you're up there. Take responsibility for that. Sometimes it's not fair. But so what? You're going to have to bow up, dig in and get back in there and get ready for the next one. Because if you let it beat you down, when you're talking about a failure-based sport like baseball, it'll bury you quick, and it doesn't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's such a valuable life lesson, too, just teaching kids to take personal responsibility when it's so much easier for them to automatically yeah. look for something outside of themselves to blame. It, and it's, yeah. With baseball, I, I use this illustration, especially hitting because it's so failure-based. Whenever we ask them to do things from school to clean their room, to mow the yard, we're, we're asking 100%. Right. You know, they can't clean, clean their room halfway. They can't mow half the yard. You know, they can't make a 50 in school. We're looking for A's and B's. Right. And so that's what they're used to success-wise. Now we put them in baseball, which is failure-based, and, and they succeed three or four times or even five times. Let's, let's call it 50% of the time as a hitter, they're one of the best on the team. And when they start failing at whatever level that is, it might not be until 12, 13, 14, 15, or whenever. Mm-hmm. That's hard for a youngster who's used to being expected to do 80, 90, 100% on everything. He does 50% and baseball says, hey, you fail 50% of the time, but yes. guess what? You're the best. So think about, I mean, it's just, it's a different way to think about it. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's that a mental lesson. game. It's that mental game. Yes. And that's tough. That's tough. It's very tough. It's a very hard lesson to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I listened to a few episodes ago whenever you guys, and I think this is important, whenever you guys were talking about the car ride home. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah, the car ride home. Mm-hmm. So we have a rule <laughs> with us that, that we just, we don't, we don't talk about it. And I even give my son permission to say, hey, dad, not now. And I got to say, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, normally when we cool off, we can talk about it. And it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, I think that's important, especially evaluating right after the fact. Right. Evaluation's good, but not necessarily right after the fact. And yes. I feel like that adds an extra component of difficulty when you're coaching your own son too, because like usually we tell our kids, you know, to listen to your coach and your coach is the one that's going to give you advice. But then when you're the dad and the coach, you know, when do you kind of switch gears from one to right. the other? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. But, um, you, you've kind of touched on the fact that that you do lessons. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we know that you have recently launched virtual lessons. So I'm curious, first of all, what do you give lessons for and how in the world does that work? I'm, I'm very curious. <laughs> okay, so let me explain kind of, I'll tell you what I give lessons for, and then I'll tell you explain how the virtual lesson started. Okay. So I was a, I was drafted as a shortstop and I played third and first base in pro ball. So I'm not going to take anybody's money and try to tell them how to pitch. That's not me. So most of the time I do hitting, I do throwing and infield, um, base running. We've done some of that. So I was basically a position player and that's what I kind of, you know, try to stay in my lane on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, with my son being his age now, and I do work a full-time job elsewhere, it is it was harder to do in-person lessons. And so I was turning some guys down on in-person lessons, and I had a guy one day just send me videos through text message. And he said, hey, can you look at my son? This was in a game. And I opened up the thing up, and I remember it. I'm a guy that grew up in an East Texas farm. And if I can get the computer to come on, that's a good thing. And here I am trying to do virtual lessons, (laughs) but I was able to look at the text message and it was so clear with all, with the smartphones we have and the quality of cameras, I was able to look at it and go, man, this is good. And as an instructor over 20 something years of doing in-person lessons, you know, most all the kids that we do, we don't ever get to see them in the game. So we don't know what that looks like in a real live, you know, we talked about the test. I don't ever get to see them take the test. Mm -hmm. So this was a way that I could see them take the test and be in a competitive game situation. And I thought, you know, and I sent him a text message back and I said, this is what I see. And I just started kind of researching apps that would, that I could use to do this. And the app that I use in my business is called Pro Virtual Lessons. Okay. It is called OnForm. So the way it works is uh, it is, it's done basically either over an iPad or an iPhone or any sort of smart device. You go on there in the app store and you can for free purchase the on form app. And all that is, is uh, it's a training app that lets you video and it saves, it saves videos. So you communicate directly with me through the app and it looks like a, a text message stream basically. Okay. And so I, I, you know, you can video from within the app, game situations or practice situations, and then you send them over in the app. And, and, the, and what I like about it, it saves the app saves the videos on a cloud so it doesn't take up space on your phone. So the, the app's basically storing all this stuff for you. Okay. But it lets you it lets you view it. You can film and then you can just send it right over and it comes right to my device. And wow. then I'm able to I'm able to look at it. I can slow mo it. Um, I have the ability to voiceover, telestrate on the screen. And so we really just break down the technical aspects of practice or in-game performances to try to get the most efficient output by by being very technical with the slow motion videos. And the videos are really clear and they're really good, which which allows us to work. If we had some grainy video where you couldn't see that well, I think it would be more difficult. But basically, it's a communic it's a direct communication with the player and the instructor. So I have a I have a kid now that's 14. He has a cell phone and I put dad and son on the same message stream so I can communicate with the kid and dad can also see what's going on through his device as well. So we just added a device. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And no, so that's very cool. I have some so drills, pre-recorded, pre-loaded drills. And if I see something that a player's doing that's applicable to the drill that I have pre-recorded, then I can just say, look, I'm going to send you a drill on balance, or I'm going to send you a drill on such and such. Try this out. Let me know what you think. And I'm big on got to give me feedback, Uh, especially hitting normally. Small adjustments go a long way. Big adjustments, especially during the season, those are harder to make. Sometimes we have to make them, but we try to start small and go from there. And in, in the way that I talk about, especially hitting lessons, I have two categories. I have approach and technique, and I have the player understand what technique is, and that's what it says it is, where you stand, all that stuff, where your elbow is, how your balance is. And then we have approach. I feel like over the years, hitting guys don't spend enough time on this. And what does that mean? It simply means, do I have a plan when I'm going to the plate? Am I nervous when I go to the plate? So we talk about how to combat against nervousness. There is a way to do that. And everybody gets nervous at different points. Um, Shoot, I did in pro ball at times. But there's a way to combat against that so we can, you know, do our jobs. I like that. I think that that's fascinating how you do that. And 
I, I was thinking about this when you were talking about how much, you know, you believe in like the mental approach or the mental aspect of the game. Because I, I see this a lot and I never know what to tell them um, to help encourage parents that the something happens. Maybe the child was hit by a pitch at some point in time or whatever. And it's like they they become afraid up in the box and they like maybe in um, lessons or in, a, in cage work, they look perfectly fine and they stay in the box and they have a great swing and they're hitting the ball and there's no issues. But then in a game situation um, with a kid pitching, they are constantly like just bailing out of the box um, as the pitch comes. Have you seen that? And do you have any advice for for <laughs> parents or players on what they can do to work around that? That's a good question. And I have seen that. And I, I can speak on a couple of things. And I talked about this recently with a group of hitters. And I said, look, here's the deal. I'm not going to get hit. And your two coaches over there are not going to get hit because we don't play. <laughs> I said, everybody sitting here has to at least understand at some point the ball's going to hit them. That's the nature of baseball. So I think getting them to understand it's going to happen is the first step. The second step to, for me is a lot of times when those kids are afraid of the ball and they start running from the ball, they start going backwards. The brain says, hey, get out of here. So they move their feet and they go back with their body, which really exposes their frontal side, their chest and their face which is dangerous. If you get a ball coming up and in on somebody that runs from it backwards, that can be bad. So what I try to tell them is when when you land with the front foot and not to get too technical, but when you land and you're in a good position to hit and, and you're ready, essentially, when you land, you're doing two things. You're putting yourself in a good position to hit and you're protecting yourself because the way I teach them how to get out of the way is to look at the umpire. Mm -hmm. If they can learn when that stride foot hits to look at the umpire, well, guess what? Our shoulders are going to turn too, and our feet don't move. So, well, we might get hit in the back, or we might get hit in the back of the, the backside, maybe. But I promise you, you're gonna it's gonna hurt a heck of a lot less than getting hit in the front. That's where right. I start is having them kind of understand that. The other strategy that you can use is take. Uh, and I'll tell you a funny story. I was in the minor leagues and I hadn't had a hit in like nine days. It was bad. So I had a coach come up to me and he said, hey, Smitty, he's like, uh, let's talk to me about your hitting. And I said, hey, man, if I could hit a double, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm feeling OK. And he laughed and said, you hadn't hit anything in the last two weeks. He said, I think you need to take. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, just take till you walk or strike out. So what he did was he shut my mind off to decide on whether I was going to swing or not. So the only objective I had in the box was to load stride pause and watch the ball. And so the first one came down, strike one. Second one came down, ball one. Well, now I've seen three or four pitches and some of these strikes that were thrown to me, my mind goes, dude, I can hit that. And ah. it kind of reset my, it kind of reset myself. So sometimes I, I'll have players take hmm. multiple pitches. Are we throwing away at bat for the sake of future at bats? Maybe we need to do that at, at times. I think that you got to be careful with that, but that is a strategy because that way they can, they don't have to make a decision on whether they swing or not. The opposite is true. Sometimes I tell them to swing. Now, this doesn't happen often either, but I could preset a young hitter to say, hey, man, I want you to swing at the next pitch. Well, they look at me and they go, what if it's a ball? Well, that's on me because I told you to mm -hmm. do it. But all I'm doing is freeing their mind up so they don't have to make that decision. And that way on the car ride home, when dad goes, why did you swing at that pitch? They can say, well, coach told me to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes so, that responsibility away. And so they, yeah. Right. So it lifts that pressure. Those are just a couple, a couple of strategies I have in the past taken tennis balls and wiffle balls uh, and done short toss in front of them to kind of let them know how close it comes to them without hitting them if they turn the right way. And so may not be a great answer, but, and that's a tough one, but you know, that's kind of the, the approach I take with it. No, that's interesting. And I've, I've never heard that the, the whole take philosophy, that's interesting that that kind of yeah. worked for you to reset. 
you're thinking. That, I, like I like that, that though. That's a different thought. Yeah, just like you said, we we haven't thought about that before. But that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, and and I stole that from from pro ball hitting hitting off live pitchers in spring training. Um, because it, it was a deal where hey, let's it's hard to hit off live in spring training with no with no game going on. You got somebody throwing you know 93 miles an hour, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to take some pitches, no matter if they're strikes, to get some benefit out of this. Mm-hmm. So that's where it kind of started for me, and 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 all this stuff with baseball, I'd be the first to admit. I'm not the smartest one to think all this stuff, but I was smart enough to say, you know what, that worked for me as a player. Let me take some of that from this individual, this individual, this individual, and try to accumulate it and and disperse that information out in the future. Right. Absolutely. Well, Sam, this has been amazing information. Where should our listeners go to get in touch with you or to ask you questions or to get more information about lessons? Okay. So provirtuallessons.com. I've done this about a year. But ProVirtualLessons.com will get you in. I got some some links to some YouTube videos on there uh, to kind of kick us off. It is set up as subscription-based. So you basically pay online, and then we go from there until you want to stop payment. That's kind of how the deal works. Um, I did a fall special this fall as a one-time payment. We'll get you eight weeks worth of lessons. And what the lessons look like, I've learned, nobody wants to watch a video of me talking for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> so the vi- it they're broken down into smaller sections with more videos. So one week's worth of lessons might look like um, two or three or four videos that are anywhere from three to seven minutes long. It's been my experience. If you if you get keep it simple and give them the information with shorter videos, but multiple videos, that seems to have worked out better. Okay. And you said you had a fall deal or something. Is that something that's still going on? It is. Yeah. It's, if you sign up for the fall, it's a one-time purchase, eight weeks worth of lessons uh, at, a, at a particular price. And then that'll go you know, from, from whenever you sign up to whenever the eighth week is. Okay. I will make sure to include a link to your website in the show notes. So that might be the easiest way for a listener to find you is to just click right there to get more information. Very good. Do you have any last minute advice or something we should have asked you that we didn't ask you today that you'd like to share? I think that that going back to the players being tough and having grit, um, as a player listening to this, be competitive. Get out there and get after it. As a parent listening to this, try to instill competitive and toughness and grit. The technique's going to come and go, and it, we're, it's always going to be a work in progress, but don't forget about the other stuff. Keep swinging, keep training, and get after it and have fun. Let baseball teach you what it what it's going to teach you and use it to, to apply to anything that you go forward with. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sam. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, and I enjoyed it. All right, thank you. Have a great day. You as well. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We have a lot of great episodes coming up in the next few weeks, but in the meantime, you can keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Moms and Baseball. Join our Facebook group, Parents and Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit the like button and share with your friends. Until then, have fun at the fields. We'll see you next week. We're going to completely redo that. I didn't like how that went at all. <laughs> I thought it was sounding good. I was like, yeah, Diana, go. <laughs> Keep like, it going. Because I was like, ah, no. It was crash. good. I liked it. <laughs>